Good morning and welcome into the show. It's Friday, August the 30th. Our new start time, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome in. If you are awake and watching this show or listening to this show on the West Coast, kudos to you. 5 a.m. in the morning. You can always go back and watch the show at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. We are reloading and working through logistics of getting this uh, show back up and running audio versions all over where podcasts are accessed. So uh, be patient. We're getting there, getting things back up and running. Uh, We appreciate your patience and Uh, your support, which we have gotten a lot of over the last few months since we launched this show and uh, appreciate all of that support and um, encouragement, etc. You know, there's a there 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 is a lot uh, going on right now. And uh, one of the things that is going on in this busy, hectic start of the season um was uh, last night the U.S. Women's National Team winning 4-0 against uh, Portugal. Um, They're just, you know, Portugal's just simply no match for... um, for us in in that department. There's just just no way. Um, Too strong all the way around. And we were were missing some, you know, some key players. Didn't matter. Um, You know, just too strong... All the way around, and the the real competition, I think, for this women's national team going forward are some of the teams we talked about during the World Cup. I think Spain is going to be on the rise over the next five to ten years. France, uh, I think, is, is going to c- continue their progress. England, the Netherlands, obviously, Italy. I think these are countries that are growing, and the competition is going to get more and more fierce. And we've got to to continue to build on our past success. We can't rest on our laurels. And uh, that's going to require the Federation to um, alter the way that it treats our women's national team. They have taken for granted uh, the success uh, as well as our ability on the women's side to have success, attain success, achieve success. And, um, and so part of that is resources and that, that's, that goes beyond equal pay that goes to travel, treatment, coaches, coaching resources, uh, et cetera, all the way around. Uh, we've got to do what's right by our women's national team. If we want to stay at the top or near the top in the women's game. Um, so, I mean, you know, look, it is what it is. Excuse me. Uh, it is what it is, but um, you know that is uh, one of the things that we've we've got to to do. Um, and the ladies continue to put pressure by their performances on the federation and and creating a real sense of urgency. Um, I think that the the federation has has got to do what's right. They they are not doing what's right in so many areas. This is one of them. Uh, also, yesterday the Champions League draw was released. Um, if you if you didn't uh, get a chance to check that out, or um, you know 
weren't paying attention, etc. Um, here are the groups for uh, the Champions League that were released. Group A, PSG, Real Madrid, Club Bruges, Gal- Galatasaray. Uh, Group B, Bayern Munich, Tottenham, Olympiacos, Red Star, Belgrade. Group C, Manchester City, Shakhtar, Donetsk, Dinamo, Zagreb, and Atalanta. Group D, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Bayer Leverkusen, Lokomotiv, Moscow. Group E, Liverpool, Napoli, Salzburg, Gink. Group F, Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, Inter Milan, Slavia Prague. Group G, Zenit, St. Petersburg, Benfica, Lyon, Leipzig. And Group H, Chelsea, Ajax, Valencia, and Lille. So, you know, um, Liverpool going to face Napoli again. Um, looks like Group C with Manchester City should be pretty solid group for them. Group B, Bayern Munich, Tottenham, the two clear favorites to come out of that group. Group A, PSG and Real Madrid, two, two big favorites there. Uh, group D, Juventus, Atletico Madrid. Group E, I think, you know, Liverpool, Napoli, probably your your easily your two biggest bets there. Group F is going to be um, interesting because you've got Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, and Inter Milan. Um, if I had to guess right now, I'm going to pick Barcelona and Inter Milan to come out of that group. Um that's probably where I would lean. In Group G, uh, I have no idea. Uh, Zenit, Benfica, Lyon, Leipzig, uh, I have no idea. Uh, that's a toss-up. And then Group H, Chelsea, Ajax, Valencia, Lille. Um, I want to see Ajax get out and make another run. Uh, we shall see. Um, time will tell. Uh, Chelsea's too soon to tell. So I think that group is wide open. I don't think they're, I don't really don't think there's a clear favorite between all four of those. So interesting draw. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, but, uh, group play going to be getting underway here soon. And, and, um, you know, time will tell. Uh, also yesterday, UEFA, uh, release some of their rewards and uh, Van Dyke, um, the Liverpool defender won the UEFA men's player of the year award on Thursday, taking the prize over Barcelona's Lionel Messi and Juventus's uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And um, that was, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, look, I love Van Dyke. I think he's amazing. Um, I, I I just look at these and I, I look at impact on the game and I look at stats and I look at everything. And then you ask the players, which gives you a real good sense of where things are. And they continually come back with Messi, including Van Dyke. Um, you know, I think, I think that's a, a vanity award. Um, you know, it is what it is, whatever. So, uh, so yeah, so the, you had some awards take place, and uh, that was one of them. 
And, uh, you know, kudos to, to Van Dyke. He, he, he's had a major impact on Liverpool uh, since he got there. And, um, you know, that was, uh, that was, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he, he hasn't played really well. Don't get me wrong. The best player in Europe is, uh, to me, is just it's not even close, uh, in my opinion. And I know I'm biased, and I'm okay with that. So, um, as you know, as a Barcelona supporter, um, you know that that's fine with me. You can uh, send me all the send me all the hate mail you want. Um, I am I am going to uh, I'm definitely going going to to stand by that. Um, you know, it it is what it is. So, um, coming up this weekend, there are um, there's some you know some some key games um, in in some of the leagues. Um, I think uh, on uh, let's see, I think Saturday. You've got uh, the North London Derby. Uh, taking place this weekend. <clears throat> Excuse me. This the North London Derby taking place this weekend, um, and uh, that's Arsenal Tottenham Sunday at ten thirty a.m. Central Time. So the eleven thirty Eastern. Um, that's going to be a big game there in in uh, the Premier League. Um, in uh, in in. Other leagues, just checking uh, through everything, not seeing anything that really stands out. And I'm sure I'm going to miss something, and uh, everyone is going to go, uh, how did you miss this game? But um, so there is a big women's international friendly tomorrow, France and Spain. I think that should be a good match to check out uh, on the women's side. Both teams uh, and both programs, as I just mentioned, on the rise, uh, so should be should be something to take take uh, take in. in in Syria. Uh, Juventus and Napoli uh, is a match uh, tomorrow as well uh, that I think uh, should be a very good one. So, um, you know, coming up on an international break, talked about some of that yesterday. Um, have some women's international friendlies this this weekend, so we'll see how things shape up. Uh, but the one thing I love is the fact that, uh, we have European soccer back and, uh, and, and it's just so much better when, when that's up and running and it's, and it's full board and you've got league play and then you come up on champions league play. Um, you know, it's just the storylines, the transfer window, uh, coming to a close here, um, over the next day or so. And, um, you know, so you, you've got all these things going on. Player movement, uh, club plays back underway. You've got uh, international break coming up as well. Um, and and so, you know, back into full swing, feeling like, you know, we've got soccer all day, every day, uh, or at least that's the way it feels. And uh, and so that's, so that's good. Um, the... Uh, the Neymar saga has not come to a close yet, so we'll see if they we'll see if they are able to um, you know get something done there. Um, it's uh, 
it's going to be a challenge to get that over the line. There's there's some key things that that Barcelona is going to have to do, um, and uh, so you know the one one of the things that they have have done is is PSG in these negotiations. Reports are saying that PSG have have requested uh, three players plus 130 million in exchange for Neymar, and um, so it, it looks like right now um, PSG are trying to push um, push Barcelona. They, I, I've said all along, they have the leverage. And um, they wanted uh, Rakitic, Todibo uh, on a permanent basis, and they wanted a loan of Dembele plus $130 million in cash. Um, Barcelona were like, you know, sorry, we're, we're not doing that. So uh, we'll see. Um, you know, it seemed like over the last few days, things were heading in the right direction. Now it seems like there might be a roadblock. Who knows? Um, you know, we, we shall see. We'll, we'll see that kind of wrap up over the weekend. So a lot going on. A lot of, uh, lot of play this weekend and then uh, heading into an international break. So um, take advantage, take, take all of it in. Uh, in, in, encourage you to do that. And, and one of the things, you know, I was talking to, to a youth uh, soccer coach um, last night, and and one of the things that we were talking about is the fact that a lot of kids are not watching games. They don't watch um, the game itself on TV. So if you're a mom or you're a dad out there um, and, and, and your kid plays soccer, I would encourage you to take some time every weekend and, and pick a game out. And maybe you have a team that you like. Maybe you don't have a team just pick a game and uh, and watch and and watch with your your kid. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to to know the game that well, but just watch the game. Let them take it in. They they will start to see patterns. They'll start to see play. They'll start to see tricks, and they'll get inspired. Um, and I think that's one area where parents in American soccer can start to make a big difference in helping uh, foster that passion and love for the game for their kids. So. Anyway, uh, definitely take advantage of that and and spend some time with your kids this weekend uh, doing that. Uh, Coming up after the break, we were able to catch up with Matt Barnes uh, in Helsinger as we've been uh, doing some um, airing some of the interviews we were able to get while we were uh, over in Europe this summer. And uh, Matt was on the show uh, a little while back. And uh, so it was a delight to meet him in person and, uh, and, and get an interview done and let him kind of talk through some of the changes that have taken place already uh, personally for him, but also for the club and uh, to get a good picture of what's going on and what's taking place. So, uh, again, after the break, we have uh, Matt Barnes of FC Helsinger joining us. And um, so I look forward to bringing that to you uh, after a a word from our sponsor this half hour, which is Duck Tick Brand. Duck Tick Brand is the maker of 
of really, really great soccer notebooks, journals. You can grab a t-shirt from them. They, they have all kinds of tools and resources to help you as a coach, as a player, as a goalkeeper, even as a parent. Uh, check them out at ducktigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. When you go there and place an order, use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order. Again, that is 10% off your next order at ducktigbrand.com. We'll be right back with Matt Barnes right after this. yourself and, and kind of let us uh, fill us in on what you're doing, your role with the club and um, you know and, and, and what you've learned so far in uh, in your journey here with the club. Yeah, well it's good to be back. And, uh, we're actually doing this in Denmark, so cool experience for both of us I think. So yeah, look, the last uh, couple months have been uh, pretty wild, probably the steepest learning curve of my life. I have, uh, since we talked last time, I've transitioned into the, um, I was named the full director for the club, so it's been an exciting, um, you know, advancement for me, and, and just being able to work, you know, in Europe at a, at a club like this in the sporting director role has just been a, it's just been a blessing for me and the family, and um, yeah, it's one of those positions uh, you know, I, I don't know, I might be the only, I don't think many Americans have had the opportunity to work in Europe in this capacity. So for me, it's, um, you know, what I'm hoping is maybe, maybe we're blazing some trails for some other people that can get over here and work. And uh, I'm excited about it. It's been fantastic. I'm learning so much about, you know, the way things work in Europe and Denmark specifically. Uh, learning a lot about the international transfer markets and um, obviously a lot about, you know, st- strategies and strategic approaches about buying and selling and developing players. So it's been fantastic for me and I'm loving, loving the challenge of it. So in your specific role, what, what are you doing with the club in terms of, are you bringing in players? Are you kind of overseeing the scouts? When you say sporting director, can you describe for us kind of some of your specific duties and responsibilities? Yeah, the role, the role I would say in, in Europe is, probably similar to a general manager. 
on on the sports side. So I think if you look at the club from two aspects, you have the uh, you know corporate financial side of things, um, operations, logistics, and then you have the sporting side. So that's been what I've been tasked to do is oversee the sporting side. So that goes from our our, our staffing, um, the uh, the academy, you know, sits under the sporting side, and along with that comes all the all the things that the director would do, trying to you know put the best staff in place and, and give our staff opportunities, the best opportunity to be successful. Uh, strategies for for buying and selling players. Uh, we're in a we're in a window right now that's open until the the opening of September, so. You know, 32 on our roster right now. We're trying to come up strategically. You know, finishing up our, our current roster, um, projecting uh, players that we we might need in the future as we prepare for the winter window. Uh, so a lot of things like that, and then uh, along with that comes a lot of recruiting and networking, and you know, basically just trying to improve things uh, on the sporting side. And I think one of the things we've we've additionally been tasked here is just just completing processes. So when we came into the club, there weren't a lot of processes for these for these things. So we're, I'll give you an example of recruiting process. Um, when we got here, most of the recruiting just went through one person, and I think that's what I love about this this job and working for Jordan Gardner in the in the um, in the American Ownership Group is they've made it very clear that they want a very very collaborative approach. So it's been nice. So instead of just one person being in charge of recruiting, we actually have set up a recruiting committee, and we have some processes that uh, will take you know through that through through the you know the introduction of a player until a player actually signs for us. There's a pretty specific process that we've we've developed that that we like. So we have some uh, policies in place, some redundancies, making sure that um, you know we're doing a little bit better job of of screening and, and finding the right players for this program. So yeah, sporting director uh, in Europe, you know, just uh, I think the role is still developing for me and finding my niche. I think it's even uh, a little bit more difficult sometimes because I'm not here full time. I'm still working, you know, part time here and part time in the States. But uh, Jordan and the crew think it's important that I'm over in, in North America right now because it's been our, our goal from day one to, to develop a platform for good young Americans, North Americans. and. We feel like having a presence over there is important as well. So yeah, it's been an interesting role. It's still um, it's it's still under development and it's new for me, but it's been incredibly challenging and I'm absolutely loving it. When you are as a committee identifying a player that's going to be a club player for you guys uh, or a potential club player for you guys. What does that profile look like? What kind of player, you know, is there is there a certain type of uh, mentality or skill set or uh, profile that you're looking at when you're out searching for the next uh, SC Helsinger uh, club player? That's definitely something we're we're developing right now. You know, we sat down with the staff. Don't forget, we've been on the on the job six months. We have a, an academy director that's been on the job for nine months. We have a head coach and staff that's been here for you know two weeks. So for for us right now, uh, we just had a meeting yesterday talking about our our KPIs, which is key performance index. So what are we looking for exactly in players? Um, you know what kind of players is Morton looking for that fits into his his style and his system of play? But ultimately, um, look, we're a selling club, so we're looking for talented young players uh, that we can you know fill have 
uh, a big ceiling that, that we can sell on within a year or two. So right now, I would say in, in our first and opening recruiting class, we're looking to make improvements with our, with our young players. And we've done that uh, internally from our own academy. We've signed some fantastic young players from Denmark. We have a couple Canadians, a couple kids from the United States, two New Zealanders. Um, and what we find about all these kids, you know, first and foremost, that they're talented footballers and uh, they want to be here. And they think that's something that's really important. We're really looking for, for some young kids that are uh, really motivated to, to push themselves. And that, that's part of the process as you meet these kids. It's, uh, you know, speaking with them and making sure that they understand what it takes to be a professional, what it's going to take to to live in, um, you know, a foreign country. So, yeah, those are all things we look at. And I would say in our first recruiting class, we're just looking to make general improvements. Uh, as we get closer to the winter window and as, as we st set up our strategic plan for next year, I think we'll, we'll be able to do a little bit more isolated you know, selection and finding the exact player for the right position that we need. But we wanted to bring in a little bit bigger crew this year. Uh, we knew we'd have a big class first you know in our first window and we think we've we've done really well with our uh, meeting the goals that we set out in our recruiting in our recruiting strategy when you look at North America what about I mean obviously Jordan being uh, American you're American there's there's now kind of an American influence and influx into this club um, so there's obviously a natural tie-in with the US and, and as well being you know a North American profile, but what specifically uh, about the U.S. and Canada um, do you do you find intriguing in terms of opening up opportunities for American players and in, in this being a pathway for them into Europe? Because uh, there's a lot of kids that watch the Premier League, they watch La Liga, they watch El Clasico and Bayern Munich and all of these clubs. Uh, here in Europe and aspire and dream of playing in Europe one day. Um, and, and, and so when you guys set out to start this project and then, you know, obviously uh, working through the parameters of a, of a player profile and bringing in kids, what, what attracts you to, to looking in the States and to Canada for some prospects? Well, look, I mean, big secret that most of the major clubs in the world now are, are, are spending you know significant amount of time and energy and money and finding you know good young Americans we you look at all the kids that are going to Germany um, all over the world actually so it's, it's been interesting for us because we know the talents there uh, the coaching level and you know the growth of, of football in, in America has been exponential over the last few years you know, when I was playing professionally, it was, you know, cost you more to, to play, uh, you know, to be a professional player and nobody came to games. And I was playing back in the, you know, U.S. ISL Pro days when they even changed the rules of the game to try to make it more interesting for Americans. So it's come so far since I was playing and, and the development's been, been fantastic. So, look, we know there's great young American players. And, um, you know, and I think Jordan has always said, what are we doing with all these players? The MLS is still at you know over 50% foreign market. Um, I think the MLS is doing a much better job this year of playing young players, but they haven't, uh, you know, that, that hasn't been the case in the last few years. And, 
And then you have the whole aspect of, you know, in, 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 a, in a country the size of the United States, I don't think we're identifying all the best players. I live in Texas, so now, you know, just even looking at, you know, um, in some of the border cities in Texas and California where I grew up, you know, you can go to the park and find a player that's never been identified in any given Sunday playing with his, with his dad or, or in a, a Mexican league or, you know, anything like that. I don't think we've done a good job of um, developing um, programs, um, some underprivileged programs, and it's something that I'm still pretty passionate about. I'm working with a group right now in um, San Antonio to, to work with some of the underprivileged kids. And so look, long story short, I think there's a massive market there. I still think it's untapped. And we feel like, um, you know, we feel like we have the networking to find, identify, and, uh, you know, promote some of these, some of these young players. Now, you mentioned a few minutes ago that, that you look at yourselves as a selling club. So for the audience uh, who may be new to this side of the game, they, they turn on the television and they, they watch uh, the sporting side on the field, right? And so they, they see a, a Barcelona take on a Chelsea in a match, and they see the players and they see the managers. But this side of the field, uh, away from the, the pitch, into the boardrooms, uh, you start to hear some terminology like selling club. What does that mean for you guys in terms of implementation? Can you define that for the audience, identifying a player, and then a, a hypothetical example of what that means in terms of turning that player over to another club, selling that player on, and how does that model support revenues for your club going forward? Yeah, that's a loaded question. So, um, look, the, the big difference for me is is sometimes what people in the United States don't understand, and that's the promotion relegation aspect of this whole business. So as soon as you, the second you get over to Europe, you realize that, look, um, you know, promotion and relegation is a huge, huge thing over here. And the amount of money that's being spent on teams at the higher levels, the amount of access you have to funding at the higher levels is, is incredible. So look at that controlling interest of this club. This club is relegated. And the difference, you know, just in television money itself is, you know, over, over 4 million kroner a season. So you're talking about a lot of money. You're talking about not only with promotion relegation, not only is it the money, it's the livelihood of people in and around the clubs and the communities. And it's just not something that most, the average American fan is familiar with. And it's been, um, for me, being part of this process of perching this club and going through, you know, the relegation battle last season and actually being relegated, it, it, it's incredibly impactful about how um, how that process works and, and what it does to people in and around the club and the players and the, and the community. And um, I don't think most Americans really have been through that. So for me, um, in the big picture, it's, it's one of the reasons that, um, you know, we, we would rather develop players over here because of that aspect, because there's so much more pressure on, on teams and clubs to do things and do things the right way because we all know that our livelihoods depend on it. So, you know, in other words, most sports teams in America, they're gonna go through their season. If they're successful, great. If they're not, they get to reset and start in that same league next year and have another chance to win a, a national championship. And it's just not the case here. So 
um, in the market here, there's so much, you know, promotion relegation that you typically will see, you know, Danish clubs moving up and down divisions all the time. And with that comes the, the selling, uh, trading, and um, the loaning of a lot of players. And it's a much, a much different market in Europe than it is in the States. So uh, being a smaller club, you know, you can come in strategically, uh, business-wise, with different plans. We can try to invest and and say, look, our our goal is to get to the Superliga and make money from being in the Superliga, and or we can say, look, we you know one of the options is look, we're a smaller club with limited access to uh, to revenue, so we're going to try to become a successful business, by, you know, developing players and uh, young players because we can get them. You know, you can get a good young player in here. A lot of times on free transfers, free trades, we can develop them through our academy. Um, and eventually we go out and sell those players. And there's a, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a big market for it in Europe. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And we feel like we can do a really good job at it. So I think that's what the chairman and, the, and this ownership group decided they wanted to do. We're gonna focus on finding um, untapped young talent uh, putting them in this professional atmosphere, an atmosphere of promotion and relegation, and trying to develop them over the course of anywhere from you know, one and three years. And then, uh, ultimately, the goal is to help that young player become a better player and uh, get them a bigger track for them. And that's things uh, that uh, that a lot of American families and I'm sure Canadian families as well um, have to sort through when when this kind of process becomes reality is the distinction between EU versus non EU players um, how is is the country of Denmark in, in relation to EU versus non EU players and, and before answering that just for some context in the Netherlands, if you're going to sign a professional contract and you're non-EU, there's a, a minimum base salary of like 250,000, I believe, US dollars uh, that a club has to, to take on in order to sign you if you're non-EU. Uh, how is Denmark in relation to the EU versus non-EU setup? Yeah, you're exactly right, and that's one of the reasons we ended up choosing Denmark. Um, there's, a, there's a whole laundry list of reasons that we're here. Uh, but one of them is exactly what you're talking about. And, and if you go back to your example, um, even now with MLS coming after you know compensation and training compensation, it's getting even tougher now since the MLS made that decision to get young Americans Europe. So now if you're a, you know if you're a club, um, you know let's say uh, you know in, in a lot of Europe, not only do you have to pay that minimum salary, you also have to pay training comp and. There's a lot to it, right? So now what's happened is that the young American player is getting a little less attractive for Europe since, since MLS has made that decision. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that not every country is the same over here. So Denmark right now, um, and we didn't know this coming into it about the, the second division, but the Super League and the first division in Denmark don't have any player foreign player restrictions. So it doesn't matter if you have uh, uh, EU status or non-EU status. And what we found out a couple months ago was that the second division, for some reason in Denmark, does have a non-EU platform. So as of right now, on any given game day, we can 
three non-EU players rostered on our team. Uh, the rules are written very vague. We've worked with uh, an attorney through a process to try to even understand why those rules are in place or what it actually means because in, the, in Denmark, uh, in, the, in, the, in the DBU, the rules actually read that if, if a country has an agreement with Denmark, then, then that doesn't count, but we can't even really find out what an agreement is. So long story short, we had to make the core decision that we're going to follow it in, in the vagueness, but we'll... Uh, uh, with about seven non-EU players on our roster right now, uh, they're all young players. We'll uh, we'll have to do some creative uh, roster management with those guys and roster rotation. Um, but it's definitely something we have to deal with in the in the second division that we won't have to deal with when we get promoted to the first division. So obviously, any club uh, wants access to more resources because you can do more. And as you move up the the uh, system of connected leagues here in Denmark. The next level up for you guys is the first division. Uh, financially, how different of a picture is that for your club versus the second division? Yeah, it's it's, it's quite it's quite staggering. Just just getting relegated was uh, like I said earlier. I think generally the TV revenue it depends on how many times you play on TV or how successful your team is in the league. But I think it would make. Um, I mean, it's a significant. So about four million, I would say about four million Danish kroner right now was the loss just in TV revenue from going down. Then you're dealing with, um, you know, more fans come out. Obviously, the higher level you're at, sponsorship changes. So you know, as you get closer to the Superliga, there's more sponsors there. There's there's more fans attending the game. So financially, uh, yeah, it's it's very impactful when you when you get relegated or when you get promoted. But the access to um, the access to funding definitely is a lot easier in the first division and in the Super League here. One of the aspects that it, it, as someone who's been to Europe many times and then obviously being uh, based in the States and, and you having background and experience is and you know you can be a talented player in America, but there there's something different when it comes to culture and the footballing culture that you find in Europe. Whether it's in Denmark, whether it is in England, you, you just feel it uh, everywhere you go. It's part of everyday life. It's part of conversation. You've mentioned promotion and relegation and how impactful that is as well on developing and shaping culture and pressure. Uh, Etc. For an American or a Canadian player that watches this interview and says, "Hey, I, I have an interest in, a, in in playing in Europe, and 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 you are a club that that maybe I want to try to to connect with and and uh, see if if my journey to Europe can begin through SCR. What would you tell that prospective player uh, to describe the difference in culture that you see here? versus back in the U.S. and Canada? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when, when you're in the States, I, I mean, literally, I just had this conversation. I was out in California and have dinner with a friend um, who's, you know, a basketball, baseball fan. You're literally still sitting there talking about people that, hey, I don't understand offsides. Can you explain offsides? And I'm just like... You know, you get to a point where I'm so far beyond having these type of conversations in America where people, you know, oh, you know, soccer's still growing. Yes, it's still growing. But 
Um, you know, you get over here and it's part of daily life, right? It's important to people and the commune system here, um, you know, it, it's not just a pro sports club. The, the community here is ultra involved. All the, all the community, the parents come to this central location and the kids come here and play sports and the, and, and the Helsinger, you know, uh, city and community built this new stadium for us. So, you know, everywhere you go, you're talking about football, you're talking about the young players. There's people that, you know, like it or not, we have a fan club and we have, you know, there's online, you know, uh, online groups that are, you know, saying sometimes we love your decisions, sometimes we hate them. You know, I was last night at a festival with uh, our CEO, Jim Kirks, and, you know, and a guy walks up to me that I've never seen before and uh, says, hey, we, we're really happy and excited about the season. And he, he just, you know, people people are, are pretty in tune with, with football over here. So um, from, from a cultural aspect, I would say that that's one of the big differences for me is not only are people more, uh, you know, involved in football and knowledgeable about football, but look, it's the community sport and this Helsinger, the community, you know, football's the, the main sport and this is what this invested in. They've just put us in a brand new multi-million dollar stadium and um, there's definitely a connection with the community here. There's a connection with our mother clubs. There's a connection with the people on the street, um, which you just don't find sometimes at home. When you talk to people in the community and even within the club, and you mentioned, you know, the different aspects of community life that is intertwined with this club, uh, how, how has the response been, reaction been to the American invasion uh, to Helsinger and, and kind of the influx of new ideas and resources to the club? It's been interesting, and I don't think it's something that you can overlook because, you know, um, it, ha it has been. There's been a lot of conversations surrounding just, you know, even being Danish and being American and maybe the way that, um, you know, your, your, your prototypical Danish businessman or your American businessman approaches business. I think there's, there are some cultural differences and I think that, that our small American group here has really had to work hard on, you know, trying to walk in the shoes of, you know, somebody from Denmark. And I don't think you can just come over here and say, hey, it's our highway it's the American way it hasn't been like that at all I think one of the worries and considera considerations of locally was that we were going to come in and make it a mini America which we haven't so we don't, we've only signed two Americans on the team so it's a small percentage and um, I think we've we've tried to do a very good job about you know spreading spreading our kind of vision to the to the community and a big part of our vision our vision is the um, the resources that we're putting into our own academy look we don't want to go necessarily and spend money you know bringing players in from all over the world if we can get them from our own academy we have a very good academy director we have a young academy but look one of our one of our main goals is to start producing our own local players for the first team um, we know that that's, that's going to uh, give the, the club itself long-term stability, and we know how important that, that process is. So, yeah, by no means do I think it's become uh, American invasion, and I think there's been cultural differences that we have to, you know, we, we've had to overcome in, in some ways, and I think both sides in general have worked very hard at trying to understand each other. Um, it's been very nice working in Denmark because I think it's very American friendly and the people here are incredible and for the most part it's 
you know, it, it, it's running into people every day. They're just fantastic people. It's a, it's, it's, it's a wonderful country. People are nice here. It's clean. It's safe. Um, and there's a lot of things that I think even Americans could and should be looking at in, in Denmark the way they do things. But no, it hasn't become an American invasion. I just think it's been the influx of some new ideas. Uh, which I think is good, and we've we've been fortunate that most of our ideas have been you know well well taken, and I would say you know at the six month mark we're we're doing some things that are a little bit outside of the box for Denmark, the way we've approached recruiting, um, the way we've created um, you know the um, collaborative fill from our sporting staff and from our operational staff. But I think it's uh, I think it's going very well overall. Last question: Danish player versus a North American player. What are some of the differences and similarities that you've seen so far? Yeah, I would say you know, and it's hard to put anybody in a box. <coughs> Excuse me, but if I had to generalize anything, look, the the Danish player, I think technically and tactically is ahead of the the average American player, right? I think we're getting some very good development out of MLS clubs and academies. I think even some of the USL academies are doing very well. I'm pretty tight with uh, uh, San Antonio FC and Nick Evans and what they're doing there. I think it's incredible what they're doing from a developmental process. So I think that gap's getting smaller. Um, but in general, I would say that the Danish player is uh, probably a little bit better uh, technically. And I think they're a little bit more versed tactically. Uh, the American player is, um, you know, what we're good at. I think they're more athletic, stronger, faster, sometimes fitter. And it's what kind of what we have, if you generalize some of the athleticism that we have in America, it's what's lacking in Denmark. So I think what we're really hoping to do ultimately is take that athletic, high-ceiling American, North American type kid, put them in this, this arena where... You know they're learning more tactically and they're just around better players technically every day and see what kind of growth we can we can uh, garner from that so ultimately we're trying to I think take the best of both worlds put it together and, and create a developmental platform and, and and we think we we think we we have it right so it's uh, time will tell but if I had to tell you that's that's the, the biggest differences for us the, the athleticism in this country uh, is just not on par with what we can we can find in, in some parts of um, in some parts of the states and in North America. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to uh, following the club and your journey uh, in the upcoming season. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. So good that you guys are here, and nice to meet your family, Daniel. So I appreciate it. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Right, you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. 
There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Friday, August the 30th. Thanks to at Matt Barnes for joining us uh, while we were in Europe. Had a great uh, time chatting with him and uh, gives you some insight into what it takes and what clubs are looking for. And every club is different. I mean, this is one of the lessons that I think American players and American families need to understand about the global game. Every every coach, every scout, every club executive, the clubs themselves, they're not all looking for the same thing. So what I mean by that is clubs and 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 scouts, coaches, they rate players differently. So some coaches may value physical ability, bigger, faster, stronger, etc. They may value um, they may value skill over everything, and they don't care about your size. They may value the combination of the two. Um, they may they may prefer a left back that stays home versus a left back that is more like a Jordi Alba. They may they may be looking for a playmaker who is an attacking midfielder versus a midfielder that is going to, to, to sit, but not go too far forward. There, there's all of these different factors that they look at. And when you, when you are on this journey to try to make it as a player, there's a couple of things that, that you've got to learn. The pathway is not linear. That's the first thing, meaning there's not just one path that if you start at point A, you're going to end up at point B, and it's just one smooth road from one end to the other. That is like a Disney fairy tale. You know, the things that you see where, you know, the messy story, for example, which is not even possible today. Uh, because of, of FIFA's rules, but messy story of coming up in Argentina, playing for a club, and then, you know, Barcelona comes and brings you at 13 years old to Barcelona, and then you you come up through the academy, and then you you are with that one club for your entire pro career, and everything was just linear. Uh one point A to one point B road in between. That's that's a Disney movie. 
that's that's not reality. Reality is 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 a struggle. It's a grind. It's more of a of a Riyad Mahrez story where you are chasing the game and you're you're searching for people to believe in you, and that's the key. And so you may you may think that that this club has got the bigger name and that this is the better opportunity, but in fact, if the, if that club or that coaching staff at the time or that head scout at the time doesn't see the game the way you see the game and, and, and thus doesn't see your game the way that you see your game, you may not get an opportunity there and your opportunity may need to come somewhere else. So there, there are so many factors that go into, you know, players who make it versus players who don't make it. And, and the biggest factor with that is persistence. It's not giving up. It's, it's saying, okay, well that didn't work. Let me try this. That didn't work. Let me try this. That scout didn't like me. Let me let me perform for this one. Let me let me perform for this club. Let me go and trial at this club. If I don't catch the eye at this club, maybe I'll I'll catch an eye at another club. Or maybe I'll go sign for this club so that I can play in front of the club I really want to play for and catch their eye. So maybe I can't get get through to them in two weeks, but maybe over the course of a season they see my play and they go, Man, we've got to have that guy. And then I make that move. So ultimately what you have to value as a player and what you have to understand as, as a support system, the family around that player is that more than likely the pathway is not going to be linear. It's going to, it's going to vary and it's going to require courage and it's going to require persistence and, and, you're not likely to just go land and find like that dream spot and everything just unfolds from there. You're going to have to hustle. You're going to have to market yourself. You're going to have to grind. You're going to have to build relationships. You're going to have to build relationships with the right agents because agents are another big factor in this whole process. If you have, if you have two players that are of similar quality, but one player has an agent who has a great relationship with that club, he may not be the better of the two players, but he's close. The club will often go with with the player who they have a great relationship with that agent. So there's so many factors. The agent you select, the scouts who see you, the clubs themselves and the, their playing philosophy, the coaches at the time, the club executives. And so what you have to value is your goals, your determination to make it, your persistence in your pers- in your pursuit of your goals. You have to be you have to persevere. And if you're not building that character each and every day right now as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old teenager, when you reach 18 years old and you're like, "Hey, I want to go to Europe and try this thing." And it doesn't work out in the first time, and you're not used to coming up against hurdles, against setbacks, you're probably not going to make it. Your mentality's probably not strong enough to make it. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's 
an important element that for American players and families, if you, if you have not spent any time in Europe, it's something that you have to, you have to prepare yourself for. You have to know that, that it, it, it is not just a black and white um, deal. It is not just a, 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 a one linear pathway set up for players to make it. You could go to Denmark and they love you. You could go to Portugal and they hate you. You could go to Italy and they're like, ah, maybe. You could go to Spain and, they, and they're like, we want to sign you today. You don't know. You just don't know. And so... The player that you are, the, whether whether you are you know a player that 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 values skill, or you're a player that that wants to be very explosive, wh- whatever your game is, the biggest key, no matter what, above all of that, is your mentality. Do you have the perseverance? Do you have the persistence? Do you have the willingness to look failure in the face and crush it? to beat it down. And um, that is something that I think a lot of, of our players um, need to get better at because our, our system and our setup here in the U S is, is just, it, it is not naturally as a byproduct of the system, creating a scenario where players have to struggle and they have to really earn it. And, uh, and therefore, those opportunities in Europe, when a player gets there, usually their mentality is very green and they don't understand what they're really up against. Players who have been fighting for this since they were 10 years old. Every day coming to training, they have to prove themselves. They can't take a night off. Who knows? The club's always evaluating, do we keep them? A scout may be in attendance. All of these factors are in play. A, a player goes into training every day knowing they have to bring it. In the U.S., if you're not feeling good, uh, I may stay home. If you don't care, it's, uh, I'm not going to go 100% tonight. So it's really difficult to get into those environments where you you have to deliver that if you're not preparing yourself each and every day. And it's hard. It's really hard. And you can't fully simulate it in the U.S. But families and players can start to have conversations about what it means to give your best effort each and every day and start to prepare yourself as best you can to be persistent and persevere so you can chase your dreams. I'd like to thank all of our guests this week uh, for, for allowing us to spend some time with them while we were in Europe getting some interviews. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a pleasure getting to meet them and talk to them and, and hear from them their ideas as well as uh michelle who uh we, we were able to, to to record an interview uh, after getting back from europe uh before right before he left for his new project in new zealand we look forward to bringing you some more interviews and clips and footage uh in the weeks to come but i want to close today's show um with uh, uh on a somber note um yesterday the news came out that uh, luis enrique who 
only being on the uh, the national team job for Spain for less than a year, left the job months ago, uh, citing family reasons. And the news came out ye- uh, yesterday that uh, his nine-year-old daughter passed away of uh, bone cancer. And uh, our thoughts and prayers uh, are with uh, he and his family in this difficult time. As a dad myself, I cannot imagine what he's going through as a Barcelona supporter. Um, he had a successful spell at the club. And, um, and here you see, if you're watching, a picture of he and his daughter celebrating um, the Champions League victory a few years ago. So um, this weekend, Labor Day weekend here in the U.S., um, if you are around your family or your friends, just take a minute to uh, to spend some time with them and remember them. Um, in 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 in, we never know. We're not promised tomorrow. Uh, we only have today in this moment, and uh, so give your kids an extra hug and uh, maybe maybe owe your mom or dad a phone call uh, just to check in. But um, Again, thoughts and prayers to uh, to Luis and his his family um, at the loss of their daughter. So, hope everyone has a great weekend, um, and and hope that uh, you take some time this weekend to uh, say to the ones that you love the most um, that you love them and uh, that you you appreciate them and that you enjoy having them around. So enjoy the soccer. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks for uh, all your support and for tuning in. As we have uh, started up our fall season um, this week, we look forward to bringing you some more things in the future. Again, new start time at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can watch facebook.com forward slash WRKMN each and every Monday through Friday. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.